0: Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a couple things to talk about. Um, we've got to talk about the new defensive line coach, that's Gerald Chapman. Um, honestly, haven't been able to learn a whole lot about him, uh, but. There's there's still plenty to talk about there. Uh, also, the women's basketball team is headed to the Pac-12 semifinals. Uh, there was no podcast yesterday again because like there's the game Saturday, which means there's a podcast on Saturday, which means one of the weekdays there isn't one. And so I was kind of torn: should I do one yesterday? Should I do one today? And thankfully, it paid off because now we'll uh, we'll obviously talk right now about the first couple rounds of the tournament and and what to expect from Stanford. Um, likely Stanford I guess that's not quite official yet I haven't seen that score in a bit but I know they were up massively at halftime over Oregon State um, but then uh, we'll also talk Friday about whatever happens in that game tomorrow talk about Colorado's last game against Utah and also I mean Oregon plays tonight too I believe let me double check that I could be wrong no, I've made a bet on it. I know it's tonight. Um, but Oregon plays Washington tonight. So if Oregon loses this game, then the game that Colorado plays against Utah on Saturday will determine whether Colorado is the fourth seed or the fifth seed. Um, if Washington wins tonight, or, or, or sorry, if Oregon wins tonight against Washington then they could still lose to Washington State on Saturday. And if they lose either of these two games, then Colorado would have a chance to win and go to uh, the, the the number four seed, get the bye in Vegas. Uh, if if Oregon does lose both these, then Colorado wouldn't need to win. But we'll, we'll talk about more of that stuff tomorrow when we know what happens tonight. Um, and then on Saturday, we'll talk after CU plays. At that point, we will know whether... Colorado is the fourth seed or the fifth seed in this tournament. And we'll talk about the games. There's there's kind of the plan for the last next few days here. Um, but today, women's basketball talk. First, though, got to talk about Gerald Chapman. So Gerald Chapman is the new defensive line coach at Colorado. He is 33 years old. He has um, some... Some interesting experience, you know. This this will be his first defensive line coaching job, which I don't know. We'll, we'll 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 talk more big picture later on, but that's why I do think that, I and mean, he is probably a little bit of a downgrade, at least resume wise, compared to Vic Sooto. Um, but we'll dig into that part later on. Uh, here is that resume though. So he was a defensive tackle at Wisconsin Oshkosh. Uh, graduated in 2010, um, went back immediately and was an assistant coach there for a couple of seasons. Um, he wound up going from there to Ball State as a grad assistant. He's there 2012 and 2013. An assistant coach at Butler in 2014. A grad assistant at Texas A&M in 2015. An assistant coach at Elon in 2016. Assistant coach at Tennessee State 2017 and 18. He was the assistant defensive line coach uh, for the Bengals in 2019 and 2020, an analyst at LSU in 2021. Uh, When Brian Kelly took over that program, he did retain Gerald Chapman as a a defensive analyst, um, but he was offered the defensive line coaching job at Tulane, And he left for that job. So I think that was about a month ago he went to Tulane. And I guess maybe you call that his first time being a defensive line coach. He was there for a month and never coached any football practices or games or anything. So I wouldn't. Uh, So this is really his first real big break is at Colorado. Um, Again, I mean, I like a lot of things on the resume. You know, I like some NFL experience. I like that the Bengals, what, 2019, he would have been about 30 years old and he's their assistant defensive line coach. That's a pretty big gig for somebody his age. Um, Being a part of the program at Texas A&M, being an analyst at LSU, um, obviously getting hired at Tulane, like, sure, okay, that's that's solid. Um, But I do think that there's plenty to like there. Uh, we still haven't gotten an official announcement, and I probably should have said that earlier on. Colorado has not said that he's the defensive line coach. Maybe they're working out the terms or whatever. This was reported by Bruce Feldman yesterday of the Athletic. Um, he's he's not wrong often, especially with the Buffs. It does seem like he breaks a lot of the CU news. So I'm I'd be shocked if this report isn't true. Um, but when when he is hired. We will get to uh, learn a little bit more about him. See, see what the press release has to say. Um, <laughs> that and <laughs> the thing about press releases. Um, yeah. So just kind of again, there isn't a lot on him, which goes with the big concern, right? As they's inexperienced. Obviously, you like the the trajectory of his career and think like, yeah, this is this is a guy who figures to be a, a good coach in the football world for the foreseeable future, however you want to put it. Um, but is he ready for this job? We don't really know. And there's a chance that he isn't. There's there's really no way of telling. Uh, you know, you look at somebody like Phil McGagan, no issue with experience there. There's a lot to really like. There's there's even clips of him like from when the Chargers run hard knocks and how he talks to the team, all that sort of stuff. It's really easy to kind of get into his head tougher Tougher here, obviously. Um, you know the difference between him and Vic Sooto is basically just like four years of experience. Um, Vic is 34, uh, Gerald is 33, so a, a little bit younger, obviously. Um, but to me, it does just kind of look like Vic is a step further along in his career. You know, he he was already the defensive line coach at Arizona and USC and uh, what some smaller school back east. So, again, I, do, I don't think that this makes this a bad hire. You would like somebody with that little bit of extra experience, um, but there obviously is a real chance that the Buffs did get the better coach out of this. It's just that there is probably a little bit more risk here just because um, he – he hasn't had a job like this before. And there's always a risk giving somebody their, their first real big break, which is what this is for him. Um, excited to get to know him. I'm excited to learn more about him. Uh, but I, I feel like there's, there's kind of a big takeaway. I think that when you go through a hiring process and you wind up with somebody and you wind up with Vic Odo. if you have to go through that hiring process again, again, best case scenario, you're getting your second choice, right? Like you're, that's just the way it works. Because if he was your first choice, you would have hired him the first time, you know? And that's kind of what makes this situation not so fun. Still, though, I, I don't necessarily think that means that the Buffs wound up with a bad coach or anything. It just means got to wait and see. And that is never fun, but it is what it is. And we'll figure out stuff when we figure that stuff out. I think that's all I've got on... All of that, you know. Before we get into this women's basketball team, and I'm excited to talk about them, they really. I tournaments. We love tournaments. And tournaments are fun, and they, uh, they're they're in the Pac-12 semifinal against a team that. I mean, again, we're making assumptions, but probably against a team that they've played really, really tough for the last two or three years, and this is obviously that the biggest stage that that's happened on. Um. We'll dig into all that stuff in just a second, though. Real quick, want to tell you guys about Brackenridge Brewery. Um, Brackenridge is awesome. They make great beers. Uh, we love their beers, their seltzers. What we love even more, though, is that this summer they are teaming up with the National Parks Conservation Association. Uh, the the tragic fires in Colorado devastated so much for so many people, um, and. That's one of the reasons that Breckenridge is donating 1% of all their profits this summer to the National Parks Conservation Association. Uh, If you buy a pint somewhere, you buy a pack of Breckenridge beers somewhere, 1% of that goes to the great outdoors. So it's obviously a great cause. Um, It's great drinks too. They have the seltzers, the lemonade seltzers, the farmhouse is open, socially distanced, beautifully set up for outside dining. So many awesome options, whether you want to go down there, whether you want to just pick your beers up. It's really good stuff. And if you use the code DNVR and order at 303-803-1380 from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., you can save $5 on some delicious food and booze from the farmhouse down in Littleton. Make sure that you check them out. Make sure you support them because they support us. All right. So, women's basketball team. Uh we have two games to talk about and we also need to talk about what's on the way. And I'm actually going to check right now as I've been meaning to do and then forgetting over and over again, Stanford's up 55 to 38 with three minutes to go. It's going to be Stanford tomorrow. It'd be nice if it was Oregon state, uh, but it's going to be Stanford tomorrow. Let's start with uh, the first game when the Buffs played Washington. Just for a little background here, Washington isn't good. Uh, Washington's the worst team in the conference. I mean, that's that's how that matchup works. Colorado's the five seed. Washington is the twelve seed, um, and that game was pretty close. I mean, tournament basketball usually is. It wasn't until what about four or five minutes left, probably four minutes left, that Colorado really pulled ahead. Um, Washington trailed with a or led with about ten minutes to go. Colorado led the rest of the way, wound up winning 64-52, to 52, and it could have been a wider margin, and it could have been a game that wasn't so close. Um, I, I think in that game, in that first half, Colorado really struggled shooting the ball. They were 1-of-12 from 3, and this is a team that is not good at that and they're probably the worst in the Pac-12 at shooting three-pointers and actually Washington's three-point defense is surprisingly good just by the numbers. And so it's it's a matchup you don't necessarily like. Um again, the, the defense was collapsing. Washington has uh Nancy Mulkey, their center, she's 6 foot 9 and the the tallest person on Colorado's uh, roster is 6 foot 3 so there's a 6 inch advantage there she winds up i think with four blocks in the first half no no trouble like with fouls or anything like that she's grabbing rebounds but but beyond the block, she's really just clogging everything up in there and Colorado has a group of guards that isn't great at finishing at the rim um they're good at getting down there, but they, they pass the ball a lot. And they're not, like, bad by any means, but that isn't, like, a trait you look at and say, like, oh, wow, look, there they are doing that again. And because of that, the the middle of the, the, the floor down there just kind of became a mess. And because Colorado has the best defense in the Pac-12, it just became this slog of a game, just back and forth and back and forth. And I'm pretty sure, what was this score at halftime? Um 2117 Colorado led. Just crazy to think about, right? 21-17 on pace for a 42 to 34 basketball game, which is honestly pretty close to the game we got today. Again, though, the 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 buffs couldn't get anything going down low in the paint, anything like that. They had to they had to take the threes. The thing was, those threes were wide open. And even though they were one of twelve from three in the first half, they were getting really good looks. They just couldn't make them. Um, going into halftime, Jr. Payne, the the coach, said on the TV broadcast that they need to stop taking threes. And you know, I disagreed with that just because you're getting open looks, you're getting good looks. You just have to make those. Like you're not really getting anything else. Uh, you're you're struggling to get good like mid range shots. You're definitely struggling to get anything going to the rim. Um, how many? How many? I, I wonder if I can see right now. Nancy Mulkey played 28 minutes. So there's 12 minutes she wasn't on the floor, and it was so obvious when she wasn't on the floor that everything opened up. And so in those situations, yeah, there's a lot more out there. That's when the Buffs actually did some damage in the paint. But for the most part, like, you're getting those open threes, you got to take them. Like, you got to take them and you got to make them. And that's what happened in the second half. They were 8 of 12 from three in the second half, continued getting good looks, and they just happened to fall. That's why I mean they, they finished with a whatever it was twelve point win. Um and, and it would have been, you know, a twenty-four point win if they could have made four more of those twelve. Go five for twelve in the first half, you know? So so that was really what changed and from the first half to the second half when the Buffs pulled away and won. Um it is worth noting though, like I say that and then I went to the Nuggets game last night where the Nuggets are playing Oklahoma City, the worst basketball team in the NBA and two of their starters are out, and they're all just like these 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. They're all skinny. Um, Colorado probably has a, or sorry, Denver probably has like a 150-pound advantage, just total on the court at any given time. They've got an average of like five years of experience at any position. You know, Jokic is lining up against who he's lining up against, Monte against whoever, all, all the way down, and... Oklahoma City beats beats them, and you look at it, and I think the Nuggets shot. A, let me see if I can pull up this number. It was just a stupid number of threes, um, but it was the same thing where you're getting open threes, and how do you how do you pass that up, especially in the NBA, right? Like you're an NBA team, they're leaving you wide open at the three point line. They took 46 threes, and most of them were pretty good shots too, like really good shots. And I, I was watching that and just thinking about that, that women's basketball game and my thoughts about that. And honestly, I kind of changed my mind because I was like, you know what? When when you're playing Oklahoma City, those guys kind of suck. Like they, they kind of just – they suck. And because of that, yeah, you can do all this fancy passing and run your offense and, and you're going to be able to get good looks out of it because the defenders need to go there or there or there and make decisions and it leaves somebody open. Um, but – you know, you're able to get these open threes in about five seconds of offense because, yeah, you're just playing better basketball than them. But those are good shots. They're not great shots. And against Oklahoma City, you can get great shots whenever you want. You know, you don't have to settle for the good shot five seconds in when you have another 10, 15 seconds just to to, to go get something better at the rim. And and so then I kind of did change my mind, you know, where – you said it's like okay, it's an open three, but also they're not falling, and you can get to the rim whenever you want. Do you really want to just live and die by the three? And I think maybe that's what Jr. was getting at, which is just like this is not a three-point shooting team. We need to get to the rim, and you know they struggled getting to the rim, and they were getting wide open looks, and so it put you kind of in a, in a bind. And luckily, what happened was they continued getting open looks, and they just went eight of twelve in the second half, and. There you go. Like that's that's ball game against a team like Washington. So, that's obviously something worth paying attention to, especially when today they they struggled in the half court offense again. They really struggled in the half court offense. Um and again, you're going up against Arizona, the number 14 team in the country. So, you don't you don't expect to be getting great looks over and over and over again I mean it's Colorado's the best defense in the Pac-12 by the numbers and Arizona's number two and, and the fact that that game wound up being 45 to 43 should not surprise anybody even though you watch it and you're just like how can nobody get anything better than this um so <sighs> that half-court offense Something needs to change. And it's weird because typically when you see a struggling half court offense, you look at the guards first and say, like, okay, you're not getting much playmaking there. You're not getting whatever. I mean, Colorado's guards have been good. And the turnovers the turnovers really crept up today. You know, Jalen Sherrod had five turnovers. That can't happen. You can't, you can't have five turnovers and expect for good things to, to happen um, when you're the starting point guard. You know, Kendall Weta off the bench, she played really, really well. She also turned the ball over three times, which is too many for her too. And what's weird is I think some of it's just a little bit of a lack of size. It'd be nice if you had somebody who, you know, just six four, six five, heavy, could just bully people in the post. It add another dynamic to this team because right now you look through. First of all, I do think that um, the the Buffs missed. Uh, Tamiya Sadler who was carted off yesterday and according to Brian Howell who's out in Vegas covering all this things things are looking up for her but she's still in the hospital Um, it was I think I think what he said most recently was she isn't going to play in this tournament but she could potentially be back for the NCAA tournament which is a good sign because it was it was a weird injury and I guess she's had back problems before but it was just kind of like a little shove in the back by Peanut. You know, it's the same team just on like a rebound, just like moving her out of the way a little bit, and she goes down and it, it didn't look like this big of a deal, but I mean that's how that's how back injuries work, right? Is any little thing and just tweak it and things can get off. So she gets strapped up and, and carted off, but it does seem like things are going well. Um, that starting lineup now though is, you know, Jalen at point guard. Sela Finau at the two, uh Frida Foreman at the third sorry at the three, uh Maya Hollingshead at the four and peanut at the five. And you know, you just look through and it's like, okay, so Jalen, she's not a great scorer, but she's really fast, very, very, very good defender, good distributor, um, doesn't turn the ball over much. Today was a bit of an exception. Um, very good player, but not much of a score. You you look at Sela at the two and that's probably your one person who drives to the rim and can and can score she has two points and that's not ideal free to Foreman subs in and plays the three um, she she took over that open starting job uh, that, that came because of Sadler's injury and She's mostly an outside threat. She can be kind of crafty, but not all that big. So you don't want her playing in the post all that much. Um, She can get like a little step through here or there. She can use the footwork here or there. But for the most part, spacing, three-point shooting. And what is she shooting for the season? I want to pull that up. Season totals, she's 40 of 143. So like 28%. So not... Not like a great percentage. She's struggled to score as well. 35% shooting from the field, 7.6 points per game. Um, You look at the four, and that's your big scoring punch. That's Maya Hollingshed. Um, She's a knockdown three-point shooter. She can get to the rim. She's long. She can get off offensive boards. And then at the five, you, like I said, have Peanut, who, you know, good player, gritty. A lot like Evan Batty, honestly, where it's like run the pick and roll. Um, get some get some boards. Be stout on the defensive end. Uh, maybe post up a couple times a game. But when you just look through this lineup, it's it's really hard to to get a whole bunch of scoring out of it. Even though you have really good defenders up and down the line, up and down the rotation. Honestly, even when you bring people in off the bench, um, it's just hard to get into the paint right now and get consistent good looks. And, and the 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 struggles are just I mean, there's they're they're missing the open threes as well, which is again something that's happened all season. And they were five of seventeen today, a little under thirty percent. Their season percentage I think is still at thirty percent. Um, yesterday might have changed a little bit, but when you don't have that sort of spacing and the defense can collapse and you don't have somebody who is just really big, you know, is six foot four and can kind of collapse the defense, a true center. It just leaves you in a tough spot, and they're really good when they get out and run. They're one of the best teams in transition in the conference, Uh, but when when you're not able to get out and run, you're forced to play in this half-court offense. I'm not sure what the answer is, and when they're going up against Stanford tomorrow, that's going to be a really tough matchup. You know, Three of the five players on the Pac-12's all-defensive team are starters for Stanford that's the other really good defense in the conference and beyond that they're really good rebounding team Um, I think they have like a plus nine better than plus nine rebounding margin this season I think there's somebody in the conference with like a plus five and then a few teams like plus four but but Stanford far and away the best rebounding team and they're they're big and they're long they position themselves well they're they're just trees down in the paint Um, and you know Maya Maya can fight with them, um, Peanut can can fight with them, but today you won the rebounding battle. Let me let me double check. I think it was thirty eight to thirty one, yeah thirty eight to thirty one. You win by two points. You know you're not going to have that plus seven margin on the boards against Stanford. Like what you're trying to do against Stanford is just even that up. You you want to play them even on the boards, and if you do that, you feel like you won. Um, what can't happen is these turnovers. That's that that has to be Colorado forcing turnovers. They need to be stealing the ball, getting the other team frustrated, not letting them get any momentum. And again, what we saw from Colorado today was that they closed quarters really, really, really well. Um, I want to run through here. So so in the first quarter, the they wind up losing the quarter 10 to 9. It's just an absolute grind of, of a quarter and I mean it sets the tone for the whole game right I mean it wasn't quite like that because 10-9 put you on pace for 40 to 36 and they wound up winning 45-43 but pretty close to it right um, you know the, the the buffs have two field goals they have a three from Frida about halfway through um, there's a, a little jumper in the paint from Maya with two minutes to go Peanut gets uh, t- t- four points off of free throws in there as well. Meanwhile, Arizona, they didn't make a field goal after 839. So, it's like their their second and final f- field goal of the quarter was at 839. They didn't score again except for free throws. And they got three trips to the line. They made all of them. And all of a sudden, that's enough to to take the lead. Um Again, that defense just locks down and doesn't give up those jumpers, though. Doesn't give up any shots, really. Um, second quarter, they don't give up a field goal in the final six minutes. Um, third quarter, they give up two buckets total. They won this quarter, what, what was that? Three, six, seven, eight, nine, nine to four. A nine to four quarter. And they give up a, a layup with 7.42 to go, a layup with one fifty-two to go. Fourth quarter, they don't give up any uh, any uh, field goals after 5.59. So that's almost six minutes again. So you look at that first quarter where they don't give up any, any uh, after 8.52, any field goals. Don't give up any field goals after the six-minute mark in the second. Give up one after the 7.42 mark in the third None in the final six minutes. I guess there was one at 5.59 in the fourth. So you just see how they settle in and just don't give up anything. And so it's almost like, especially in the second quarter, you know, first quarter is a total grind. Second quarter, Arizona kind of gets something going early. Um, They're they're getting good possessions. And Colorado's turning the ball over a lot. Colorado is giving them these extra possessions so they can go on this little mini run. And, And... it's not even a mini run, really. It's a nine-point run, which in a game where there's 88 total points scored is a pretty massive run. Then they answer, they totally shut them down, and they just kind of grind their way back to a 13-3 run the rest of the way, and all of a sudden the Buffs have a two-point lead at halftime. It's a, it's a defense that is really, really good they need to do better playing off of it though because there are more opportunities to to push in transition and they're just I and mean, even even in those opening minutes of the game i think Frida hits the three uh, about 3 minutes in before that she'd gotten to the rim twice and just couldn't finish and you know again in these games where the margins are so slim because the defense is so good and it would have felt felt really nice to be up thirteen to ten after the first quarter instead of down ten to nine. You know, every one of these buckets matters, and when you're turning the ball over twenty one times, it's just it's just brutal. It's just brutal. Um, in the uh, fourth quarter, they I think in the fourth quarter alone there were five plays where they couldn't inbound the ball. Three of them were consecutive. About halfway through the fourth quarter, there were three plays in a row where they turned the ball over on the inbound, and that's six free points. That's like 13% of Arizona's points in the entire game. The entire game, 13% came on these three failed inbound passes from the Buffs. Just throw it in, they're right at the, the rim, and you foul them, give them two free throws. Do it again. And then the third time, they actually had to dribble around a little bit, but, but they still wound up getting that layup. It's, it just, it, it can't happen. You have to be able to inbound the ball, and and those struggles inbounding those came when Arizona put the press on. So they just went to this full court press, and immediately Colorado turns the ball over three times off of inbounds, and then pretty quickly thereafter there's a fourth, and then late again, you know the Buffs force a miss, they get the ball back with four seconds left, uh, call a timeout, which at the time I'm saying why are you calling a timeout? Just take the foul. Go to the free throw line. You have a two-point lead. Get that thing up to four and get out of here. But instead, they call the timeout. They can't inbound the ball. They turn it over. And uh, Arizona calls a timeout with uh, two seconds to go, down two. They're able to get not a great look, but a look at a three-pointer at the buzzer that they shouldn't have had. And, again, to me, that timeout, not not the move in in my mind. But, uh, Typically, it makes sense when you're struggling to inbound the ball. it just can't happen. So you have those five turnovers in the fourth quarter just off of the the inbounds passes. can't happen that can't happen, and that needs to get better and and the truth is, like at this point, it's not something you can fix right when when you're playing in the tournament you're you're just playing a game every day. there's no hey a little extra shoot around here we're g- we're gonna go hard here and see if we can um for, for twenty minutes work on this. No. Because you can kind of fit that stuff in when you're on like a two-game road, swing, a Thursday-Saturday road swing. You're like, ah, let's let's push it a little bit here, even though everybody's tired, even though whatever. When you're playing the tournament, you're going into day three with a game. This back to back to back, you there there's no working on anything. You are what you are, and that's that's kind of scary. When we've seen that they struggle with that press right there, so. I think that that is very high up on the list of concerns. I also think you expect to see Stanford go to it early, right? And it's what we talked about mostly last year with that, the buffs team, the men's team, when you're saying like, okay, every time the defense flips to a zone, you're, they're struggling to crack it. Then late in the season, you know, Oregon state in the tournament, you see them go to the zone and Oregon state upset, upset CU. Um, And you know, the same thing here Stanford going to go to that press early. Obviously it's a little tense on your defense. That's a lot of, a lot of energy to expend on the defensive end, especially early in a game, but it's probably worth it. Right. When we see what we saw today. Um, so those are some thoughts on all that. What, what else do we have going on here? Um, but Arizona, Arizona really struggled from the three point line. I think that's notable um arizona was two of 24 from three again they they got some good looks some of them were really forced um when you're talking about 45 43 game though two of 24 is really fluky and it has a big impact you know if imagine if that's like reasonably you could say that that should be eight of 24 they make one in three of their threes that's a pretty standard number for pac-12 women's basketball that's six th- more three-pointers. That's 18 points just on those. And and again, that's a little aggressive. Even if you say, obviously, they make one more, and that changes the final score. And everything plays out differently and all that as well. But I, I do think that there's a couple of these little things you look at, and, and they are they are a little scary. And the, the top of the list is always just going to be that half-court offense. You know, for as talented as this team is, they're they're built to play incredible defense and to hopefully build offense off of that um you can get the ball to my in the post, but i mean, that's that's not modern basketball right nobody's nobody's looking for post ups at this point um so number one is that half court offense is the big concern um number two the how do you even phrase these things? Like, it, it does turnovers count as part of that half court offense? Um, I'm going to leave turnovers off of it just because Jalen Sherrod and Kendall Weta have been incredible, incredible um, at, at not turning the ball over for the most part this season. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to put that up there. I will put the ability to handle the press up there. Um, and and Stanford specifically, I think just the the length that they have, the the size advantage they're going to have that's a it's a it's a problem it's a problem and and the fact that you Colorado is not a great rebounding team in the first place like they're it's going to take just an incredible effort against Stanford. they have to fight so hard for every one of those rebounds, even though they're if if there is a fight, they're probably going to lose you know like Like on any given rebound, they're probably not going to win that fight. But they just have to fight and fight and fight and the next time fight and the next time fight and the next time fight and and see if they can find a way to claw this back to an an even rebounding margin, um, which is not going to be easy to do. It really is not going to be easy to do. Um, If they can do that, though, they have a chance. And as we've talked about with, with this team in the past, they play Stanford really tough. I think that if you're Stanford, honestly Colorado is probably the team that scares you the most in this conference um, if this was a couple years ago it'd still be uh, it'd still be um, Oregon but this Oregon team this year is is not anything special and they've been down for a couple years now and so I do think that if you were to ask Stanford who do you not want to play? Colorado's got to be at the top of the list. I think like six of the last seven have come down to the final minute. Um Colorado's only pulled out one of those games, which you know that's notable that is notable, and that's why when we go to the offshore sports books that try to tell us what uh what the to expect from these games, what the lines are, Stanford's gonna be a pretty heavy favorite even though Colorado's played him close um but just running through some of these, and I wrote this story in January when Stanford came to Boulder. I'm just going to read some of the parts of it that talk about some of these games. Um, First game of the 2019-2020 season, Stanford's ranked sixth in the country. Uh, Maya hit a three-pointer to give the Buffs a two-point lead with 1.6 seconds left. Um, You would think that that would mean you're going to win the game. Instead, it was a horrible play. Somehow the Buffs just leave Ashton Prechtel, who's a real post, you know, she's one of those girls who's like six foot four and she's from Colorado. And for that reason, it would have been nice if just that one player was with Colorado would just change the dynamic of this team. Um, but they, she somehow winds up wide open in the post and just catches the ball off the inbound, has a free lane to the rim, ties it up, um, and beats the buzzer and (laughs) the game goes to overtime. Again, the buffs hit a three, to go up two points with 1.6 seconds left, and Stanford wins in overtime, and, and so you blow that one. Um, they they played uh, they played Stanford obviously again that season. This one's at home. Um, they they tied the game up in the third. They had a three point lead with 14 seconds to go. Colorado did. Um, Stanford hit the three off an inbound play, and then and then this was like a, a sports centered top 10 play but Colorado turned the ball over in a tie game with just a couple of seconds left and I think with eight seconds left they were trying to inbound the ball and there was just like this wild it wasn't quite half court but it was pretty close to half court um buzzer beater in a tie game that won it won it for Stanford and so both of those two you look at and say like that those could have easily been wins for Colorado um the fact they didn't get either pretty surprising um last season they uh the 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 buffs played stanford in boulder the first time at that point stanford's the number one team in the country stanford's always up near the top always always up near the top tara vanderveer has one of the very best programs in the history of college basketball um but maya has 32 points it's i think that's still her career high 10 rebounds five steals um Jalen made a layup with a couple seconds left uh, to send it to overtime, and uh, Frida Foreman she got hot in overtime. She uh she she basically led the Buffs to the overtime win. Uh, so they took down the number one team in the country. So at this point, you're like, all three of these games are incredible. Um, but the the next one, Buffs are down four with two minutes left. Wound up losing that one, sixty two to fifty six. Um, The two games this year, the Buffs, in Boulder, they had a decent chance. The one on the road, they got blown out. So, again, though, the point is, while Stanford is the number two team in the country, and deservedly so, and on the very, very short list of teams who could win the national championship this year, Colorado has played them really, really tough. And that counts for something. And when it comes to game time tomorrow... It's it's not going to be a toss-up. I'd be lying to you if I said it was a toss-up. But I think when you look at Colorado versus Stanford, just at the top of the page, this game is a lot closer than you'd think. And the Buffs have a real chance. And they're, they're going to need, first of all, just this incredible rebounding effort. Obviously, they need that defense to show up. It rarely doesn't show up, but... It feels dumb to even say like the defense needs to shut up when you're talking about this team. Like it's it's just the best defensive team in the conference. Like that it'd be a shock if that doesn't happen. Obviously you need that. You need to be forcing turnovers, but you can't be turning the ball over either. Um you you've gotta you've gotta hold on to the ball. And that hasn't been like a huge problem for Colorado this season, which is I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? where it's really disappointing and hard to trust some of the things that were working well for this team in the past. Um, at the same time, though, it's easy to think it could just go away, that these turnover issues could just go away. So hopefully that's what happens. Um, anything else I want to get to? Well, what is this now? I think the Buffs had won 6 of 7 coming into the tournament, so that's 7 of 8, now 8 of 9. Buffs have won 8 of their last 9 the one loss in there being a 15 or 20 point loss to Stanford. So I guess you don't love that part, but they, they are playing really well. And Kendall Weta, I I feel like that was the other thing. She only scored like two points today. No, six points, six points. Maybe it was the last game. Let me, let me double check on that. Um, Ooh, I hate how this is formatted. I thought this would be quick. She had eight points in the last one too. Um, I don't know what I was talking about, but she she is going to be a really really good player in this conference she already is a really good player in this conference i, I mentioned stanford three of the five team three of the five players on the conference all defense team kendall wet right up there as a true freshman wild um but she's going to be a force in this conference she had six points today eight rebounds four assists uh three steals she just does so much and that defense is just incredible it it causes so many problems for whoever the opponent is. You just put her on the opposing guard and she clamps him down. And Jalen Sherrod does the same thing as well. But, again, that's just the expect- expectation for Jalen at this point. Um, yeah. I don't think I have much else I need to say about all this. I feel like we've gotten most of it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let me double-check on this game time tomorrow. Before we get out of here, I should have put that in the recap story. I'll update that. I just realized I, I wrote that before we even knew who the opponent would be. Um, I don't have this page open anywhere. Give me a second. A second. Okay, now this is loading. And they'll play at 2.30 Pacific time. So that is 3.30 Mountain time, um, which is perfect. 3.30 Mountain time. Buffs, Stanford. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if the Buffs could pull it off? Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh, I hope nobody turned it off right after that. It's actually at 6 Pacific time, so 7. 7 Mountain time the the Buffs will play Stanford. They played at 3.30 today. I was looking. I didn't fill out the bracket as it went. Um, 7 p.m. tomorrow. I assume on Pac-12 Network, but we'll see on that as well. That's all you got. Uh, hopefully the Buffs win. We'll be talking tomorrow night after the game. And uh, we'll be talking about the men's game as well. Who knows? Buffs might also announce the, the hiring of the new defensive line coach. And if that is the case, I, uh, I we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, that's all I got today. And we'll talk soon.